Welcome to the APM podcast. APM is the chartered body for the project profession. My name is Emma DeVita and I'm editor of projects, APM's quarterly journal and your host. Today I've invited three senior leaders from the world of projects who also contributed to APM's Women in Projects Management Conference this year. I have with me Sam Olson, Director of Transformation at Department of Work and Pensions, Sharon Parker-Brannan, Head of Projects at Setterfield Limited, and Estelle de Trombler, Associate Director, Project Controls at MACE, who's also Chair of APM's Risk SIG. So brilliant were they at the conference that we wanted to ask them to do this follow-up podcast. For all of you who miss their excellent and honest sharing of experience, which I hope will not only help and inspire those starting out in mid-career, but also be a source of wise advice for those women listening who are aiming to get to the very top of the profession. So Sam, Sharon and Estelle, welcome. Morning. Morning. Good morning. Thanks for uh, joining us. Um, And I think if we could begin perhaps with a brief introduction from each of you about who you are and what you do. So perhaps Sam, could we go with you? Absolutely. Hi, good morning, everybody. I'm Sam Olson. I'm currently Director of Workplace Transformation at the Department of Work and Pensions. Uh, I've been a civil servant now for uh, nearly 10 years. So I've done a mixture of programme leadership across the private sector at Virgin Atlantic and now at uh, within the civil service. Okay, thanks. Sharon? I'm Sharon Parker-Brannan. I'm a head of project at Sellafield Limited. Um, What does that entail on a daily basis? It entails identifying projects that need to be delivered, um, scoping them out, getting all of the approval and assurance for that, which is quite a strategically lengthy process to go through in my industry, and then actually hardcore delivery on site. So that may be building new, decommissioning, taking down old, um, and that's my day job. Thank you. And Estelle? Hi, everyone. So my name is Estelle de Trembleur. Um, I've got uh, over 20 years of experience in working with project and driving initiative predominantly with the area of environment and technology. Um, I acquired uh, all my experience uh, uh, especially for the past decade on multi-billion pound project infrastructure. And um, basically, um, yes, I I like uh, you know to empower an inspired individual because I believe that well we all are capable of incredible things. Okay, thanks. Um, it might be useful for listeners actually if you, each of you could give a short um, explanation of how you've got to where you are. Um, Sam, do you want to give us a brief outline of your kind of career journey? Uh, I can do. I often call it eclectic. Uh, is uh, but the best description of my career journey. I very much started out with my maths degree from university, not knowing what I wanted to do when I grow up. I'm not sure I still do, if I'm completely honest. Uh, but I did leave university, as somebody reminded me a few years ago, with a very clear journey in mind that was about gaining commercial experience to use for public sector good, uh, which, which is how my career has evolved. So uh, I spent uh, 10 years at Virgin Atlantic doing an array of sales and commercial jobs, which then uh, meant I found myself running overseas markets and setting up an airline in West Africa called Virgin Nigeria. And that was my first opportunity to lead a huge program of work for an organization. Uh, It was quite a few years ago now. 
and it was before any sort of formal qualification. I had a couple of really good, strong project managers who ran my PMA for me. Uh, but it, I got such a personal passion and drive from seeing the delivery of something. I realized that it was something that was going to become part of my career moving forward. Um, I then, for personal reasons, had a family, decided I didn't want to spend my life jumping on and off planes and uh, thought that uh, really it was time to think about that public sector good. So I worked for a couple of charities for a few years, uh, helping them build new services, children's homes and leaving care services, and found myself quite frustrated by this stuff called policy, legislation, guidance, offset, all the stuff that Sharon will completely be used to in her world. I thought, well, if I'm going to understand how I can make an impact in this space, I need to understand how it all works. And that's how I found myself in the civil service, where I really had to ask myself what I was bringing to the civil service, because I was coming with a commercial background as opposed to experience within the public sector, and realized that actually what I was bringing was commercial program leadership, and that was what I was bringing into the civil service. It was what makes me as a leader unique in comparison to those who've got far more experience of Whitehall than I have. Um, and that's where my journey into uh, program leadership started. Uh, since then, I've run four major government projects. Uh, and I now do quite a lot to support uh, women and people with dyslexia in the profession. Okay. Um, wanted to ask you about the different mindsets between working in commercial sort of sector and the civil service sector. Is that is that true? Because many project professionals have the chance to do what you've done, which is to flip between industries, between sectors. Is uh, how different is it working for the civil service than it was working for a commercial organisation? So Virgin Atlantic, very much. The Virgin Group has the customer at its core, um, and and that is very much a driver. But it is still a driver for profit, and I think that is the big mind mind shift that you have to have when you come out of the commercial sector and move into uh, the public sector. That that. That driving point of view, they're either about growing the revenue line or about increasing profitability. That's not what the public sector is about. You know, in the public sector, you're talking about value for money and you're delivering for citizens. And in all the roles I've done, are very much about delivering for very vulnerable citizens. The other mindset shift is the sheer scale and complexity of what I have done in the public sector is so very, very different. You know, I thought Virgin Atlantic was big. I mean, I, nothing in comparison to the size of just DWP. And actually, whenever you're doing something in the public sector, it's never just in your department. It interacts with a number of other different departments. You know, if you're working with vulnerable people, they touched on average about four different government departments. So that complexity of the operating environment, I would say is the other big shift. Is that something you enjoy? Is it something to, you enjoy getting your teeth into? I do. I, you know, it, can it means that it takes longer to get things done. Uh, you know, I often say why, when people say, why do projects take so long in central government? Democracy literally gets in the way. But having worked in countries where there isn't a democratic process, isn't it fantastic that we get democracy in the way? You know, it's such a privilege to live in a country that is so democratic. But the reality is 
that democracy can often slow down large government major projects because things happen, you know, elections happen, changing parliaments happen, changing prime ministers happen quite regularly too. <laughs> All these things mean that you have to, on government major projects, just ensure that you are still in line with what the government of the day is looking for. Okay, thanks, Sam. And Sharon, how did you get to where you are? So I started working at Sellafield at the age of 17, leaving school, knowing that I didn't want to go to university for a number of reasons. So I wanted a pay packet in my uh, jean pocket to spend every weekend. So I joined Sellafield at 17 as an business and finance um, apprentice trainee. Um, I spent 10 years in business and finance, worked my way up to be business manager, um, done some quite transformational change improvement things with regards to how we ran the business from a business and finance point of view. And then I got bored. So I'd done it for a year, ensured it was embedded for a year, and then I was like, I'm bored. I don't want to do this anymore. I've done it to the highest level I can get to. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So fortunately, I had two fantastic managers at the time, one that said, I think you'd be fantastic in operations, and one that said, I think you'd be awesome in projects. And then I was given a year in each to determine where my career was going in the next phase of it. Done operations, loved it. Didn't particularly like it that much. It wasn't that good at it, to be fair. I hadn't, I hadn't been brought up off from the shop floor, so it took took a lot for me to learn it and understand it. It's complex. I didn't underestimate that challenge. Done projects for a year and absolutely loved it. Every element of projects. So that was decision made. Uh, at that point, I was. You know, I was, I was at a higher level of management in the organisation, but realised I needed to learn projects from the bottom. So I went right back down the runner to a project engineer to learn it all from the ground, all the way up. And then done all of the various levels. We do it through complexity levels at Sellafield. So it's based on, you know, can be complexity of risk, complexity of size, those kinds of things. Work through all of the levels of complexity to where I am now as head of project. Um, like Sam's just said, public sector, and it's the only one I've ever experienced. So where Sam's just said about profit, you know, other sectors are profit-making orientated. I've never been profit-making orientated. I've never had that pressure on my shoulders from project delivery. The pressure that I've had on my shoulders is ensuring that I spend every taxpayer's money wisely and I spend it as if it's my own money. So different kinds of pressure, but very a very conscious pressure all of the time in any decision that I make. Um, I said previously I didn't go to university. I was fortunate enough during work to do my degree in business and finance, funded by work, day release by work, exactly the same as my master's for project management, funded by work, day released by work. Um, and it was a brilliant opportunity. And at the period of my life when I'd done both of those things, day release from work was just a godsend you know, on how to, to achieve that. Thanks, Sharon. What do you enjoy most about your job? Bringing the people along with me. 
And I'm not going to lie, I am a, I like to be stroked, so I like to achieve. I like to hit a milestone. But bringing the people with me and them helping me do that is where I get the most enjoyment. Okay, great. Estelle, you come from a different angle in terms of your career. Can you tell us how what you do now and, and how you got there? Um, yeah, so Mike, well, I, I started up in another country, so I'm from Belgium. So um, I've done my degree back then and uh, I worked for a couple of big organizations like Brunswick and um, Daimler Chrysler. Um, so from that, I kind of, you know, wanted to change a bit and uh, in, um, and, and then starting to, to look through different horizons and this is where I came along in the UK and uh, my career started basically with Crossrail um, it's quite an interesting business um, you know starting on major infrastructure project completely different uh, type of organization what I used to work with different um, different ways of thinking so I think this is what helped me to um, to move forward um, my degree basically is in marketing. So when you look at marketing, you're looking always at opportunities. And this is what I think the industry and this country kind of helped me through. So I, I moved to one level to the other. And by being curious, I kind of moved through, you know, the different, uh, different, uh, roles. And today, um, Working in project controls is giving me again that opportunity to to be curious, bring novelty to uh, the client, um, especially you know when we're looking at the technology. So obviously, when you're working in project controls, you're looking at all those different aspects. Like uh, risk management is something that um, is kind of well done, I would say, in the industry. But um, looking with opportunities, with eyes of innovation, with eyes of new perspective i think this is what you know we need to bring a bit more positive on uh, on projects and um this is what i'm trying to do um thinking as well like bringing people together as it was mentioned earlier is something that is quite interesting obviously on on project that's what we do isn't it we bring people together to achieve great goals and um i believe that you know we working in challenging environment, we really need to make things, um, you know, working, um, looking at, you know, future and a uh, new position. And so, yeah. Thank you. You're talking about bringing people together and this podcast is being done. It was inspired by women in project management, APM's WIPM conference, which I understand you help um, put together as well. I wanted to ask each of you if if the conference gave you any food for thought, if anything in particular resonated with you from that day, because I found it a really buzzy event and you could tell that people were just enjoying being around each other and certainly to have a, a space like that that was predominantly women as well, I think gave the conference and the day a kind of a safety in terms of allow people to talk about uh, quite you know openly and honestly about situations they'd found themselves in and and was hugely valuable um Estelle was there anything in particular that you, you that you drew from the conference that that gave you food for thought yeah so um 
you, you know, the, the basis of WIPIM was kind of created because it was a safe space for women basically to talk about different uh, challenges they were encountering, uh, you know, in the workplace and together they were finding solutions. And this is how WIPIM kind of grow. Um, so that is an, an important aspect. And, um, you know, having women all together, I think we all buzzing, as you mentioned, uh, this is really um a great experience that when bringing women together is always like bringing that positive energy and that great attitude of, you know, looking at things in different angle and with different um, attitude. Uh, what we need to note as well is we need allies, you know, uh, having women in the profession is great, but without allies, uh, without the men out there helping us to be able to be ourselves, um, this wouldn't be um um, able to happen and um, we were talking a lot during the conference about emotional intelligence uh, promoting diversity for positive change and I think this is it um, we all coming from different background we all from different origin we all think differently and and I think this is what is bringing you know this um, this conference to a great uh, to a great uh, end and I really believe that this is something that we need to continue and having, you know, um, uh, well, continuing this experience, basically. Would you like more women, uh, men to come along to the conference? I would love to, yes. I think it's important that, uh, you know, we do not separate each other. Um, I've realised that sometimes, you know, um, especially I think in the industry, we, we kind of, you know, promoting women in the workplace, which is great, but we don't need to forget that, you know, the guys that were there before, you know, they've done quite a lot, a great journey as well. And without them, we can't be here. I think we, we need to have some sort of a balance between having women in the workplace and only replacing, you know, some roles by women. I think we need to keep understanding that we, we can hurt feelings as well. You know, it's just, uh, I think it's important that we we keep that conversation and that synchronicity um between you know um everyone in the workplace i think mm. thank you sam anything in particular resonate with you uh, so for me as opposed to i found many of the different sessions i went to really interesting but actually what resonated to me more than anything was the power of having so many particularly young women at the start of their careers in one place uh, you know, not seeing glass ceilings that I certainly feel that I experienced when I started out in my career, just full of energy, passion, and a change of conversation, I think, that has started to happen that's not so much now in the space uh, when I started my career that was about women can have everything, you just got to think about how you smash the glass ceiling to far more of a space now of I want a career that can flex around my life aspirations and those life aspirations could be about being gay program leader and traveling the world or and caring for a parent or and having your own family and it felt like a younger generation who were just a bit more savvy, dare I say, than I certainly was, uh, about what they wanted from their 
career as a whole, not just what they wanted from the workplace. The other thing that really resonated with me was the number of conversations that we got into that was about the intersectionality of different protective characteristics. So some really interesting conversations with um, colleagues at the conference who have disabilities, have caring responsibilities, and a lot of conversations with uh, BAME colleagues who were talking about some of the specific challenges they find being in a sector that had historically, a profession that had historically had a male bias towards it, and how to come into the sector, not just as a woman, but a, mem- a woman with uh, maybe a black African uh, background or w- whatever it may be. It was really energizing and empowering conversations. Thanks, Sam. Sharon, how about you? So firstly, it was an absolute honor to be a guest speaker along with Sam at our session. And secondly, I done the mentor session in the afternoon as well. Again, absolute honor to be asked to do that. Um, I think the most resonating thing for me above anything was the fact that women out there do need help and support still. And I don't mean to deliver the day job, you know, the comfortable with what they need to do and how they need to do it successfully. More to do with how they structure their own development and their own progress. So, um, like Sam said, me and Sam done a session and the amount of people that came up and asked for advice, were talking about issues and concerns, was quite alarming. So really positive that no issue with day job a little bit alarming with regards to, but I'm having this problem, how how would you advise me with that? And as a so, result so, of that... Hang on, sorry, what what problems or challenges were they coming so it up was, with? Well, there's no structure within my organisation for any progression. I'm working really hard, but I'm not being seen. How do I do that? So it wasn't about doing the job. It was everything that should come along with doing the job. Uh, and as a result of that, I'm, I've met with quite a few people after that and hopefully helped and advised them. So for me, it was everything that the ladies have just said. But for me, I took away thinking, yeah, there's still a bit more to be done. Not with day job, but a lot of the other as important elements of your job. Um, with regards to what did I take away, we talked about the empathy scale on the introduction of this. That just enlightened me where I think I'm extremely intuitive and it's one of my key strengths. When I looked at that and sympathy versus empathy, vast difference. So that was the one thing I took away to educate myself on the empathy scale. And then um, for me, overarching um, with regards to opinion on the conference, It invigorated me. I loved the level of honesty and openness. It was refreshing to a degree that I've probably never seen with hundreds of people before. And it grounded me a little bit. You know, I sit in my own little cocoon of Sellafield Limited and and when I've met a much wider audience, I think, yeah, I maybe need to spread this this love and learning a bit bigger than what I'm, I'm doing at the moment. So it grounded me a little bit. At Association for Project Management, we know your most important project is your career. But as a project manager, it's not always easy to make Project Me happen. That's where our membership can help. 
we offer exclusive training, qualifications and learning resources to keep your development on track. Join our 35,000 members and become part of the only chartered membership body for the project profession. Open up your future at apm.org.uk. Just bearing in mind what you said, Sam, about uh, when you starting out it was a different world to today. So I was going to ask you all, uh, if you could give advice to a younger self, what advice would that be? But actually, I think I'd be most interested thinking, you know, reflecting what you said, Sam, that what's your experience now of being a senior leader in the project profession? And what advice would you give to, say, for example, the types of people who came along to the conference here in their 20s, 30s, or even sort of a bit older, mid-career, who are looking and have the ambition to step up to senior level? So the advice to the younger version of myself is don't worry about the pathway, take the interesting, exciting opportunities when they arrive and when you see them. So taking that forward now to um, a new, quite different dynamic world, thinking about, um, I've followed up with a lot of conversations with people who reached out at the conference. Uh, with both people trying to find their first job on the ladder, but also people starting to think about how they as yeah make themselves seen and how they progress within an organization. Um, and my advice to them uh, and to people within the civil service is often there is something about stay really focused on doing what you're doing really, really well. We can build ourselves personal development plans that are so focused on the personal development that we forget that actually what people see is a job done really, really well. And there's a balance there, isn't there, to not just be focused on the next thing, but make sure you're delivering well in the day job. Uh, and then in thinking about those next steps and how you build themselves, there is something for me that's about authenticity. You are who you are. I walk into the office every day as a mum of two kids with my dyslexia, juggling a gazillion different balls. That is who I am. And I'm a people person who happens to have a maths degree. And that all influences the type of leader I am. And uh, when I'm talking to people who are starting to think about their leadership journey, there is something about Spend as much time reflecting and thinking of what sort of person you are, as much out of work as you are in work, as much time as doing that as you do thinking about what a leader needs to be. Because you are you, and for all the training and developments uh, that can happen in the leadership space, you've got to be able to do it in an authentically you way. So don't lose sight. Uh, when you're doing that leadership training, when you're thinking about the career progression, is this an environment that's the right place for you and your leadership style? And what does that look like? And what do people value? In Have you ever felt that being a woman has impacted on your career, either positively or negatively? Is it something that you carry around with you every day? Uh, so I, I will find a polite way of sharing a funny story that I shared at the conference, which is that very early in my career, I knew that as a woman, I had an ability to get some good sales out of somebody uh, that my older male colleagues couldn't do. And, and I 
my approach in my early 20s to that, and women in their early 20s now are horrified when I say this, but it was a different context and a different environment. Um, I really felt that if somebody was going to be silly enough, then that was their, their fall and I should take advantage of it. Uh, the world has thankfully moved on, I would say, since then. And I think that the way being a woman has helped and caused me some challenges um, I often look at the world quite differently to many of my male colleagues through the lens of program delivery. I think in comparison to my male colleagues, I tend to look at the system through the lens of the people and the influence and the change, whereas I see my male colleagues often look at the world far more structurally than I do, and therefore how you bring those together and make that work together is really strong and is really powerful. But I sometimes question, is that being a woman or is that being dyslexic? Who knows? There's a whole different conversation that you could have. Um, I found for me being a mum actually has probably influenced and created some more barriers, which are as much about me grappling with how I want to prioritise work over family, perhaps differently at this stage, as to how I looked at the world before I had children. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I've not been able to deliver something because I'm a woman, but I have encountered sexist comments and sexist remarks along the way that I've always felt strong enough and empowered enough to call out. And actually, my experience has been if you call them out once, the person doesn't dare do it again. How did you do that in a way? Like, did you do that at the time when someone said something, or was it? Did you then think about it and then react later to it? No, I called it out absolutely in the time in the moment. That's so uh, good with, to hear. How, how, yes, how did you do it? What? Because it still happens, right? In some sectors, it still happens. What is there? A, is there an effective way of doing it? A polite way of doing it? So I've always used humour, Emma. So I have uh, always found a way of doing it. So uh, I found myself in meetings where um, some, in Africa, I would be assumed I was a man when I walked in the room because my name's Sam. Um, and I've had to explain that, no, you don't need to see Mr. Olsen. My husband works for a pharmaceutical company. I think you're here to talk about planes. Uh, I've done it uh, in situations where somebody has assumed that I'm there to take the minute. At which point, actually, I've called out my dyslexia and said, no, really, believe me, you don't want the senior person with dyslexia in the room to be writing for the minute. So there's just something about using a bit of humour and a bit of, guys, stop it. That, that is not, we're not in the 1980s. Um, and, and it changes the tone immediately. But I, it needs calling out and you've got to call it out because it's not a healthy environment. Thank you. Estelle? Can you put together <laughs> succinctly all the advice you've picked up, the advice you give to the younger self, and also any advice you give to women who are aspiring to get to the top to where you are now? Okay, so the, the list of, uh, you know, the great advice for, for my younger self is, um, well, I, I would like to say the first one is take the risk, you know, just go ahead. Um, don't stop yourself for, you know, going for the things that you believe 
that are good for you. But even though people are saying you might not have the skills or the competencies, um, I think um, it worth trying. Uh, it's worth trying uh, everything, you know, and if it's not the sector that suits you, well, that's fine. You move on to another one. There is always uh, that opportunity. And then um, um, another great advice I would say is ask questions, ask many questions as you can. I think that's the, that's one of the basics. You know, if you don't understand something, just go for it. If you want to know a bit more about type of role or industry where just ask those people you know the world is now open uh, way more open than it used to be and um, what I'm noticing as well is you like to have someone that can be some sort of a mentor or a coach that can hold your hand when you know you do not feel quite comfortable in, in certain times so you always want someone that give you a little push you know and give you some confidence to actually you know uh, or just uh, can answer your concerns or anyways i think uh, being um being able to to talk to someone about your fear i think is very important um and you know um obviously being a foreign in this country you know um i didn't know quite well the language to start with so then you know you need to find some people that you can kind of trust to start with you know and through my journey i had like a, a lot of great uh, managers that really believed in me i think for me it's been like uh, you know finding those individual basically that that give you that little push that move you to the next step on that ladder and um you know uh, most of my manager always said to me estelle be patient <laughs> be patient <laughs> But um, obviously, I'm not. <laughs> I like, you know, to go uh, not only quick, but, you know, I'm just thinking, well, if it doesn't go this way, I can change my route. And, um, you know, um, I think there is different ways of reaching the top. There is no one set route. You know, people say, well, is that not one saying that every route goes to Rome or something like that? <laughs> Every yeah. road leads to Rome. Mm. There you go. That's the English proper way. So, so this is it. You know, I mean, if you if you want to to make your career, I think there is no one one yellow brick road. There are many, and um, I think this on that road you need to find the people that can help you move, um, and that's the most important part. I think. Thank you, Estelle. And, and Sharon, what advice would you give to younger self or advice to people, women especially, who are looking to get to the top? I would say to younger women, you are starting off with three superpowers. One, you're female. Two, you're young. Three, you're going to have a drive to the level you probably aren't going to see to that level again in your career. At, th at that level consistently. Don't ever let anybody make you believe that they are not superpowers because, by God, they bloody are superpowers. Um, other advice would be very similar to the ladies. I'm not going to lie. It's all about make a plan and work hard to bloody deliver that plan. So it's about having a development plan but being very conscious that it should not be 100% work-orientated the development plans that I put in place for myself and all of my people that either work for me or I mentor are 
It's 50 work, 50 life. So what do you want to achieve in your life out of work? What do you want to achieve at work? So get a development plan in place. Get a mentor in place. Have routine sessions in the diary with your line manager to discuss any issues and topics. Volunteer for something outside of your normal day job. You know, show the enterprise, your organisation, your company that you're willing get that additional exposure with different people. Start with the mindset of no one else is going to look after you, so you have to look after you. And then anything you get from that is an absolute bonus. So if you've got a brilliant team, great. If you've got brilliant mentors, fantastic. If you've got an awesome line manager, perfect. But start off that only you is going to look after you. I like to think that with every touch, I leave a trace and I've got to be conscious of that. So be conscious of that in your early career because that touch could be positive or negative. But be very thoughtful that any touch you have with any person will leave an impression, an opinion and a trace. And I think the key thing is just see it. Don't not see it. Don't not have the confidence to see it. Don't feel you're not experienced or knowledge enough to see it. If it's in your brain and you're thinking it, just see it. The daft questions, probably nine times out of ten, are the most permanent questions that nobody is brave enough to ask or discuss. So just see it. And... Would you also say just ask? So you're saying just ask questions, but I'm, you're talking there about all of you about the you do your job and you do it brilliantly, but you also have to be seen to do it. Yes, yeah, and and I, and I think do you not have to recognise that it's just not enough to get on with the job? You actually have to share that what you're what you're doing with the people. You have to think slightly politically I guess as well to make sure people know what you've done and to to not feel shy about saying look I've done this I deserve I deserve a pay rise it's okay to ask for a pay rise and it's okay that maybe you won't get it but you're showing look this is what I've done I deserve to be heard is that something that's something I found for my career is it something that you would advise to so all about the pay rise element. So you've been re working really, really hard for 12 months. No one has seen what you have been doing. Therefore, why should they give you a pay rise? So take that as an example. If you've got a development plan in place that your line manager has signed on to that they're going to support you in, if you have got really clear objectives identified for that year that on your monthly meetings with your manager, you're reviewing, there is no reason why at the end of your, so Sam mentioned a PMA, so a performance management assessment meeting, whatever it may be, at the end of that 12-month period, you have all of the evidence to show that you've achieved what you said you were going to achieve. I think when you talk about sitting down and talking about a pay rise, it's all about the people who determine that all on the same page, this is what I expect, continual progress monitoring of that expectation and it being visible, transparent and open. Mm. Okay, that sounds entirely logical. 
I we, we, we've run out of time. I just wanted a final your final thoughts from each of you, just how you feel about um, how optimistic do you feel about um, gender equality in the profession and, and how much more needs to change? Do you feel optimistic? Do you feel pessimistic? Um, Sam? So um, there's one bit that we missed off the last conversation, um, which you could pick up on uh, in between everything we said, but I would like to call out, and that's to say to everyone, when you go into the workplace, that doesn't mean you've left education. Every day is a learning day. You've got to keep continuously learning. The world around you is changing. The world around you is evolving. You've got to keep up, particularly in project leadership, with what is happening in the wider environment all the time. So I always say to everyone, every day is a learning day. Otherwise, it's a wasted day. Um, am I optimistic about I think we are well on the way there. I think we are really in a space now where I know that I've said that I've called out sexism when I've seen it. I don't see it that much anymore, actually. Um, but it is uh, up to uh, the next generation coming up of male and female leaders to ensure that that parity continues. And that there is a conversation to be had about what happened, what is parity for women is quite an interesting place for me. So is parity feeling you can have it all and you can be 100% at home mum and 100% at home, um, 100% at work leader, or is that just completely exhausting? Um, so I feel really optimistic. I feel that the conversation is changing and evolving. That said, I think that if you go back to that intersectionality point and start looking at women with caring responsibilities, women from certain ethnic backgrounds and uh, women with certain disabilities, I think there's still a long way to go in those spaces. Thanks, um, um, Estelle. Any final thoughts? How do you feel about equality within the profession? Um, for me, so uh, I'm quite optimistic and I, I need to think about the the legacy as well. So today as an individual, what is the legacy I want to give, you know, to the next generation? And obviously, this is what we're doing here today, isn't it? So we're talking about those issues and how we can tackle them and how we can move on to the, to the next level and we can help change things and uh, overcome those obstacles together. And basically, until, until we succeed, we are that momentum. And I think this is, you know, all of us today are enabling this movement. Thank you. Sharon, any final thoughts on the subject? How do you feel? Yes, I'm optimistic. Um, I think we have still got a bit of a fight. Um, and I think that's legacy of decades where conscious choices for males have been taken. So the conscious decision has always been to choose the man in the room rather than the woman. And I think that we still have to work quite hard to get the equality in that. So I think we have to consciously be aware of decisions made in decades prior to us history to be able to get that equality. I think the most enlightening thing for me, and to, I've actually seen it last week, 
I attended a managing construction course. So there was 20 employees on the managing construction course and 18 of them were female. Never in my whole career have I ever been in a, in a meeting of any description that's been dominated like that by females. So I am optimistic and I am actually seeing it with my own eyes, which is outstandingly amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I want to thank all of you for finding the time and passing on your wisdom um, to listeners, especially those who couldn't make it to the conference. So uh, it's been really positive and um, quite emotional. So thanks again for everyone. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank thanks you. For asking, Emily. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Sam Wilson, Sharon Parker Brannan, and Estelle de Trombleur for joining us, and to you for listening to this episode of the APM podcast. Don't forget to look out for more episodes or to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. We'd welcome you to get in touch with your comments, feedback and suggestions by emailing us at apmpodcast at thinkpublishing.co.uk. This podcast has been brought to you by APM, the Chartered Body for the Project Profession. For more information on APM, visit apm.org.uk.